May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible. One book. Discuss. Or two books. Old and new. Or three books. Old, Apocrypha and new. A little bit more than that. If we split the Old Testament, we've got the Torah, the wisdom literature, the minor prophets and major prophets of Psalms and such like. And then the New Testament. We've got the Gospels, Acts of the Apostles, the Epistles, Book of Revelation. How many books? Each one of those is a separate book, a separate purpose, written to a particular group of people. The Gospels. How many? Glad someone knows, yes. <laughs> Surely we know there's four Gospels. It's like Jesus standing, teaching, and says, Listen carefully, I don't want you to end up with four versions of this. But actually, each of those Gospels written for a particular purpose to a particular community, and why they've been written is expressed in quite what's going on. An interesting book when I was training for ministry was Gospel Parallels by Throckmorton Jr. What a name. Of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and alongside each other so you can see where the same things are appearing, where they're not in one Gospel but are in the other. Today's Gospel reading from Matthew. Matthew is written, it seems, for a Jewish community of Christians. So those of the people of Israel who have come to know Jesus. So there is that particular purpose, that particular focus on showing that Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for. But also the way things are phrased, the concerns are all linked up in that community. This parable does not appear in the other Gospels. It's going on for a Jewish community within a Jewish community. This is not sort of... Jews against Gentiles, Gentiles against Greeks. This is a conversation within a Jewish community. What's going on? Why is it? Why is this conversation going on? The parables so often are impossible to understand. Let's be honest. If we're a farmer, maybe we'd understand some of the farming parables. On the other hand, farming probably changed in 2,000 years and however many miles away. So we look at this and I think, well, this is easy, isn't it? You know, the, the Jews are the bad guys, the Gentiles are the good guys, everything's going to be nicked away from them and to give it to them. But no, because if this is expressed in a, a reading for a Jewish community, well, actually that's a conversation within themselves. And at the start of the reading today, it says that Jesus addresses the chief priests and the elders. You'll recall last week's gospel reading. He was speaking to them. He's addressing them, not addressing the normal punters, the guys in his pews, the leaders. So it's not a criticism of the whole of the people of Israel saying you're all doomed and all the Gentiles can be okay. It's having a go at the Jewish leaders, the church leaders, a hierarchy. Seems quite apt so often, doesn't it? 
those lording it over everyone else, thinking they've got it all right, and, and you discover it's not quite like that. And in fact, right from the start, Christian, in Christianity, there was this mixed community. There were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians right from the start. So it's not them and us. Despite saying this is made, written mainly for a Jewish community. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Words from the Old Testament repeated several times in the New. Familiar words, which we've heard time and time again, no doubt. I remember it from childhood. I can't remember many sermons from when I was a kid, but I remember bits of a sermon about the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I remember hearing about the stone, the stone in churches, We've got it all whitewashed over so we can't see it very well, can we? But you've got all the lovely bits of brickwork all leading up. And then you've got this weird little bit, this weird wedge. You take that out and everything comes tumbling down. I did think about trying to bring a load of blocks to Jenga here and I thought, I'll just make a mess. But that would have illustrated it, that little bit which stops everything collapsing. The stone which the builders rejected, who? Well, it seems to be speaking of Jesus, rejected by the hierarchy. But the key to our salvation, rejected, but so important. I was reflecting on that a little bit. I remembered when I was in Truro Cathedral as one of the chaplains there and learning about the history of the building, and there's this funny kink in it as you go down the aisle. In fact, we've got the same in Vale Church where I was before moving to Wales. So often it said, well, it, no, it's not because of dodgy workmanship or fitting into a particular little space, but it's representing Jesus' body on the cross, bent, in pain. So actually the church isn't quite straight, it's representing Jesus. In Truro Cathedral, maybe it's a bit of both because they were building the cathedral on the plan, on the floor plan of the previous churchyard, so they didn't have much space to deal with. But here there is this misshapen bit, <coughs> imperfect bit of stone, useless, good for nothing. Then you realise that's the only one that fits to make everything else work. I was going to say everything else fall into place, but you don't want it to fall into place if you're building something up, do you? <coughs> Misshapen, imperfect, useless, fit for nothing, and transformed into something so important. That can apply to so much more. Sometimes we might think we've got everything sorted and we're resting on our laurels and this is good, that's bad. Then you realise actually there's that little bit that makes such a difference. So I thought, what else is there which is rejected, not valued, not listened to, but might actually be quite important? You know, in our community, there is so much need. We are trying to reach out and serve so much. You know, the food banks and the welcome spaces being but two examples. We know 
for everything's not great. But actually, rather than just thinking we're serving our community, actually that bit which in the community is struggling is actually key to our salvation. Those people who aren't having a great time are key to our faith and our relationship with Jesus. They make a difference. Without that, without them, is salvation even possible? We just think we're a right, Jack, nothing else matters. Who likes PE or playing games in school, anyone? Yeah. Some of you. I didn't. So I'm the one. No one lines up against the wall and the captains are picking the teams. We'll have you. We'll have you, he says. We'll have you, he says. We'll have you, he says. And then you're thinking, okay, I'm still standing, you know? And then, in the end, there's a few people left, and one captain turns to the other and says, actually, yeah, you can have the rest of them, they don't matter. <laughs> because you're talking, you don't make a difference. You're not going to make any impact at all. In fact, you might be a liability, even. We'd rather, not have, we'd rather have less players than having you on the team. I'm that good at sports. In this reading, Jesus is literally saying, I, God, am in the place of those who are said to be useless, not picked, not wanted. Actually, they're important. God is important. This is completely reframed, transformed, turned around. Those which are useless are so important. Apparently useless, sorry, not actually useless. And so, as we reflect on this reading, let's let the parable speak to those who are neglected, rejected, apparently not valued. Even the parts of ourself we don't like to acknowledge. Are we happy with our whole being? Or are there things we struggle with? Maybe depression, or anxiety, or, or addictions, or weight problems, or lack of confidence, and all kinds of other struggles. Bits we don't like to admit, don't like to think about, don't like to do anything about. But actually, if it's the stone which the builders reject, has become the chief cornerstone. These bits can be reframed and acknowledged as a key part of who we are, a key part of our relationship with God. But not just bits within ourselves, but what about those who don't feel they have so much to offer in the church as they might have done. Everyone else is so good at all these things. They know how to do things. What have I got to offer? I've just come along and keep quiet. They don't need me. Actually, that's not what that reading says. Or those who are vulnerable in the community. Oh, we're just receiving. We don't have anything to offer. Yes, actually, you do. Important things that all of us can benefit from or parts of the country, or even parts of the world, where no one talks about, or acknowledges because of what's going on there, we'd rather pretend it doesn't exist. They are important, they are key to who we are, as Christians, as humans, throughout the world. To each of those groups of people, and to ourselves, and the bits of us which we don't like to think about, you are needed. You are vital. You are the chief cornerstone that stops everything else collapsing. 
without you. There may be these two little bits, big bits of arches coming across, but then they're sort of leaning and bumping against each other because they need something a bit different in there, holding it all solid, making things come together and work and function for our salvation. So I wonder, how is this parable speaking to us here in the Taft Bargoy district of the Taft Romney ministry area? Bit of a tongue twister, that, isn't it? What here is neglected, forgotten, ignored, and feels generally not too important? They may have been rejected by some, but we are reminded of their importance because in this gospel reading, that which has been rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Without that, everything else collapses. Without that, our salvation collapses. We need to let people know that, don't we? That they do matter, that they are valued, they are vital, that we need them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.